listening to First Church Charlotte. service to your hand. We commit our hearts to your kingdom. Lord, we pray that your anointing would touch every aspect of our lives. Don't let this word simply pass through our, our mind, journey through our consciousness, but Lord, let it take up root in the soil of our spirit and soul, that we might be changed by it that we might be spiritually remade in your image. Don't let us leave the way we came here today, O oh God. But we commit ourselves to your kingdom and we receive your spirit into our life. And can the church say amen? Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor, say you need church more than anybody I know. understanding of how great your God is we are not our own we've been bought by a price the precious blood of Jesus has been applied to our lives and we've been changed to be like unto him can I have a big amen I am continuing our series from last Sunday the do something church and today is part two of the do something church and our title for today is answering the call and if the Lord will allow me, I want to challenge each one of you in your own spirit to answer the call that God has placed upon you. Today is our, uh, we call it uh, the transition day for Sunday school, but it's where the classes change because of the new school year. So I had the privilege of going next door before, um, before I came over here and giving the children Bibles as they transition to the grade and give them all hugs and take some pictures with them. And I want so much to see God develop them into their, into their potential. There's a competition going on in their world for their attention. And they have to, at some point in their life, they have to choose the kingdom of God. They have to choose the way. They have to do that. And as, as the ministry team, as teachers, as a church, as parents even, the number one thing we can do to ensure that the next generation receives it is not to simply speak it, but to manifest it. We have to manifest. In other words, I have to manifest in my life to my children, to the children I influence. I have to manifest that I have placed God at the, the highest place 
I have to manifest that. I, I want to talk about that a little bit today, and I, I want to open the word of the Lord to you, and I want to see you challenged in your spirit. I want to challenge you to answer the call of God in your life. Are you ready for the word today? Somebody say, I'm ready. Say it again. I'm ready. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise before we get started. We bless you, oh God. We praise you for who you are and what you have done. Amen. Excuse me for a moment while I prepare uh, the water of life that will sustain us on this venture. Amen. I want to especially give thanks to our production team. We have a great praise and worship team and a great production team here at First Church. Uh, There's been a tremendous amount of work to raise the quality of everything. Uh, not simply for the sake of having high quality, but for the sake of allowing spiritual flow in our services. As you know, having gone to church a few times in your life, every time there's a break, every time there's a distraction, we pay the price of our ability to perceive the presence of God because we're distracted and, and whatnot. And our team has worked super hard on this. They've, they've worked over the past few weeks. Uh, you guys can see this great battleship of a monstrosity that's been bes- installed back here. All that is for the sake of raising the quality of the uh, our experience in the house of the Lord, uh, but they they put in a whole new soundboard, and we can't even tell it today. There has been not been any troubles. There hasn't been any. I was expecting children crying. I was ex- expecting random destructions and lightning strikes, and here here we are having good church. So I'm thankful for all of that. We have a great team. Let's give our team a hand here that works hard. All of us have a call of God on our life, whether we perceive it or not. I want all of you to understand that today it is core to what I want to transmit spiritually to you. All of us have a call of God upon our lives. We can ignore it. We can deny it. We can resist it. But we all of us represent a divine investment. You are richly gifted by God. Somebody say, I'm richly gifted. You are richly gifted by God. You are not an accident. I don't care who called you that in your formative years. You are not an accident. God intended you. Your mama may not have intended you, but God intended you. (laughs) You are not an accident. God is invested in you, and God has a plan to manifest his kingdom and his way in your life. God has a purpose for his placing of you with your gifts in your world in such a time as this. This is what Esther, this is the lesson of Esther. She has to see, I don't have time to preach this, but I'll just mention it as a discount price item. Uh, Esther has to see the Lord has placed her where she is for a divine purpose or the house of Israel will pay the price of her not perceiving. I want you to begin to believe that God has invested in you. God has placed you for a spiritual purpose that he would like to bring to fruition in your life. If you will believe that, you will begin to open your eyes to see how God has prepared a work for you to do. The Lord has prepared a field in which you to labor you to work, you to give, you to love. Isn't it interesting that the Lord did not direct us to pray for the harvest? He directed us to pray for laborers in the harvest. As if to say there's no shortage of hungry people. 
I heard someone say recently they didn't think many people wanted God anymore. And I said, well, is there a pain in the world? He said, yeah, lots of pain. I said, well, there will never be a problem, people wanting God, as long as there's pain in the world. There may be different resistances. There may be different circumstances. But where there are hurting people, there is an open door for the healer to come and bring a healing to broken lives and hearts. I want you to believe that you are placed by God and anointed by God. And I want you to see how that anointing will be expressed in your life. To illustrate to you uh, this truth to you, I want to uh, direct your attention to the calling of the prophet Ezekiel. He gives the testimony of his call in his first and cha- second chapter of his book. I'm going to quickly move through it, but we'll start for your reference. And again, as you know, all of these, my notes are available to you on the website. Uh, you can go to the, we- the website and slash notes and download everything I'm preaching from. Uh, and that way you will have a record of all of this. You'll see verse number 28 where Ezekiel uh, he perceives for the first time the manifestation of God and he falls face down and he hears a voice speaking uh, to him. And the Lord says this to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, son of man, stand up on your, your feet. Ezekiel's first response is very normal and natural when presented with the, the manifestation of God's power and God's holiness, God's glory, God's uh, otherness, uh, not of this world. And, and he falls to his face, overcome with fear and reverence. But the Lord is not primary, primarily interested in you feeling uh, something. He wants you to respond to an anointing and embark on a mission. Every time you see the Lord call somebody, however they initially response is uh, their, their initial response, how they initially respond to the presence of God. That is just a threshold that they cross. And then they are given a word. They are given a mission. They are given divine place. They are given spiritual direction. And so the initial fear, the initial awe, the initial reverence is a threshold for them for them to get through. Uh, Some of us don't want to get beyond that threshold. Like Peter, we want to just stay in the awe. Let's build here three tabernacles. Let's never go back down to the valley where they're having problem with a demon-possessed child. Let's stay here in the awe, and the Lord wants to get you through the awe to understand your mission and get you sent on your divine purpose. Now, I'm preaching a little bit better than you're responding, but I think you're going to get with me here in just a little while. I want you to see awe is amazing, but mission is on the other side of all. And so get up to your feet, prophet, and Ezekiel climbs to his feet. And then we see the Lord say this to him, listen, listen to the one who is speaking to you. That is verse two. Uh, Then he says, I am sending you to the Israelites. This is divine mission, mission, uh, verse number three. Uh, Stand up, listen up. This is your mission. I am sending you to the Israelites. There is always an action component to the work of God. There is a go in the gospel, or as one preacher liked to say, go is two-thirds of God. Amen. Go. 
There is a mission, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. And then the Lord says this to him, and this is quite interesting. Uh, The people, the children, are obstinate and hard-hearted. I know that was true of this middle section, but I didn't know that was true of all, everyone here. Uh, Obstinate and hard-hearted. Ezekiel, I am sending you to them, and you must say to them, this is what the Lord says, whether they listen or they refuse to listen. They are a rebellious house. It's as though the Lord says, you know and I know they're a bunch of knuckleheads. But they will at least know that a prophet has been among them. You, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. This is an important component uh, to the mission of God as it is revealed to us. It is an important component of the work that we each of us are called and chosen and gifted to do because there's always a struggle within our flesh of who we really are are serving. There's a natural reservation within us. Do we fear man or do we fear God? If Ezekiel fears men, he is going to be useless to God. He has to know who he is serving. Can I have a real big amen on that one? Is there anybody here who knows who you're serving? You have to make up in your mind and in your heart who you are serving. He is not calling you to an easy way. He's calling you to the right way. The tension between the prophets and the priesthood is a part of the history of the children of Israel. Uh, The priesthood represents order of worship and order of uh, civil authority. The priesthood represents that. And the priesthood is given all of the outward signs of spiritual place and authority. Prophets are not given robes to wear. Prophets are not given breastplates with the nine gems of significant significance upon them. Uh, prophets have no outward manifestation that they are God's man. Uh, they have God's word. Do you see? I want you to see what's happening here. Now, the priesthood, they have this manifestation that they are God's men. They have the uniform to wear. They have the breastplate. They have order. They have place. They have stature. The prophet has no stature. He has no place. All he has, and it's going to be enough, but it's all the prophet has is the word of God. I just want to remind everybody here that if you have the word, that's really all you need. But you better have the word of God. (laughs) And so this is the tension that exists between the house of Israel as the priesthood and the house of Israel, the prophets. Now the prophets serve as a check and a balance upon the structure, the organization of religious life in the house of Israel. If you fail to understand that, you will fail to understand the tension that exists through the latter half of the Old Testament between the prophets and the people who are very formal in their worship, very formal in their identity, very formal in their observance of Mosaic or the law of Moses. Let me say it in a simpler manner. They're very right and they're even vain about it, but the prophet is saying you have missed something fundamental. You see, God is a relational God. His desire is to know you, to walk with you, to have a relationship with you. You can't fool God with a system, you see, he can see your heart. Don't get mad at me yet. I'm sweet as I can be and I love you. 
You can't fool God with a system or an order, or you can't even walk around like you're somebody, and if your heart isn't right, God knows you might as well quit lying. You see what I'm saying? This is the tension between the priesthood and the prophets. There are some of the priests who also function in the role of a prophet, but what you will see is every time a priest functions in the role of a prophet, he is persecuted. People do not want to have their heart preached to. What they want is a symbol of divine acceptance, and then they just want to be whoever they are. And the Lord says, no, that's not good enough. You need to serve me with your heart. It's not enough to have a sign or an identity or an order or some system in place or some formula you adhere to. How is your heart doing? So all individuals who want to manifest the heart of God to the, to the people, we have to preach this question. How is your heart before the Lord? How is your, your, your secret life before the Lord? How clean is your closet? You see, this matters because without having our heart right, everything else becomes a mockery. It becomes an insult to what God has done for us and God has done through us. But I want you to know this here today. If you will let your heart be turned toward God, he will meet you. He will greet you like the prodigal child. He will wrap his love around you. He will let bygones be bygones and old sins be placed under the blood and you will be a new creation in Christ. Jesus, do I have a witness in this house? Mm. How many forgiven people do I hear here today? I thought you'd be a little bit more excited about that forgiven than that because you got some ugly sins. I thought we had some people who have been forgiven and you are happy about being forgiven. And when you think about what God's done for you, you just want to say, thank you, Jesus. I've been forgiven. I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. I've been forgiven. Goodness, y'all are going to make me preach in here before I get, quite, get, get, get finished here today. And so uh, you've got to remember who you are serving. This is the tension between the prophets and the priesthood. The, pro- the priesthood tends to kill the prophets because they don't want to be told they're not right. That what they want is they want the, they want the order, the sign, the, the, they want the, the, the form of godliness, but they don't want the heart that is desperate for God. And so when the prophet comes, there's this history in Israel, they kill the prophets because uh, it's tough to have one pre- somebody preach conviction to you. And so um, the Lord is telling Ezekiel, decide who you're going to serve. I, I want you all to know that if you decide to do something for God, remember, we want to be the do something church. We want, let me say that in a, a manner that some Some of you may get a little bit better. We want to be the book of Acts church. That's the significance of the book of Acts church. It's not what they felt that makes it into the book. It's not what they thought that makes it into the book. It's what they did. In order to be a part of the book of Acts church, you need to do something. Because there is a book that is being written and they're writing down what the apostles did. Not what they felt, not what they thought. What did they do? I will speak for this church and I will say we want to be a book of Acts church. We want to be a do-something church. That means I'm going to have to take some chances. I'm going to have to stretch my faith. I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody here today. You can feel the presence of God drawing you. 
You want to know what anointing feels like in your life? You want to know when, how do I know that God is calling me to do something? Is there any drawing in your heart? Do you feel any drawing toward the work? Do you feel, that is exactly what it feels like. You see, the idea that we simply choose, that's, that's not biblical. You don't choose first. First, you are drawn. And so if you're a part of this house and you're a part of this body of believer, you are a, a, a function of this local church, I hope you feel deep within your spirit this drawing of God. And you say, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to explain it, but I've got to do something for God. I've got to be a part of the revival that is in the earth. I, I can't, I feel like there's this image in the Old Testament, the priests take a hook and they throw it on the altar and they would pull meat off of the altar to be used among uh, in the tabernacle among the priesthood. That image is a little bit kind of, how shall we say, barbaric, shall we say. You just take a meat. Sometimes I feel like God has just slung a meat hook into a service and he's just caught me in my shoulder and he's saying there's more. There's more. You haven't even scratched the surface of what the revival can be. You haven't even, even seen the miracles and the signs and the wonder that is coming. That is what it feels like to be drawn by God. You want to know how something is done in the kingdom? Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Fall on us, Lord Jesus. You want to know what it feels like? You want to know what it feels like? It doesn't feel like anybody waking up and saying, I have decided I shall hereforth go by and do things. That's not what it feels like. It feels like this great drawing, this, I just, I've got to do something. I don't know. Lord, show me. Lord, lead me. And he draws you and he draws you and he draws you. And then a path opens. A door opens. A, a lock opens. A, something falls off your life. Suddenly you don't care what people say about you so much anymore. You're just hungry. You don't need the approval of your neighbor anymore. You're just hungry. There's something in you drawing you. That's what it feels like. That's, ex that's, that's what it feels like. It's the drawing of God in your life. It's the drawing of God in your life. We want to be the do something church. And just like Ezekiel, we're going to have to stand up, get past the all, get past the, oh, this is good for me. I'm seeing great things and hear the mission. And we're going to have to listen to God. He's going to send us on a mission. And the mission is going to be met with resistance by some. And we're going to have to decide who we are serving, what we are going to do. And then the Lord says this to him after he has reminded him that you're going to have to fear God and not men. He says, you receive what I am giving you. He says, uh, chapter two, verse number eight, open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. And the images of a scroll covered with the word of the Lord. And the Bible says in uh, chapter three, as the, uh, the vision unfolds, uh, the prophet says, so I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. The word of God is in the mouth of the person who is called to mission. Yes. The word, that is the image of the gospel in our life. We are called to mission. We are awoken to spiritual opportunity. And when we speak, it's no longer our words that speak, but it is the gospel that flows out of our testimony. And our mouth is filled with the word of God. All of us, if we're going to be a part of a book of Acts church, all of us, if we're going to be a part of a, a driven purpose 
church, if we're going to be a part of a do something church, all of them, all of us are going to have to respond to the call of God. All of us are going to have to make sure that we fear the Lord and not others because if others will make you quit, then you won't make it very far until you are invited or commanded to quit by somebody. This is the image of the prophet Ezekiel being called by God. I want to ask you all, what is God calling you to do? I believe God is calling you. I think God has too big of an investment in you to let you sit on the shelf while your sell-by date gets closer and closer. I think God's too invested in you to let you. Let, let me just be honest. Everything that we do here at this church, everything we do from the planning of our, our pastoral team to the structures that we invest in as, as a church system and order, everything is designed to equip you to be the light God has given you in your world. That is, that is what everything we do is organize that you would be that, that light. And we want, however we can, to equip you because we believe in you. We know you're not perfect. That's why you belong here at First Church. Now, there's some churches you don't belong at because they are so perfect, they squeak when they walk, and you probably wouldn't fit in there. But here at First Church, we have a flawed preacher, and we put him on the stage on a regular basis to give you hope that you too can be used of God. And not only that, we got a rebellious pastor's wife. And honey, if she can be used of God, there is no telling what God could do in you and in your life. We do everything from the commitment we make to small groups and empowering you to invite your world. You see, well, you come here today and you're having a great time, but really this is to equip you. The reason why I preach your anointing so much and the reason why I preach your call so much, I am a great believer that the, 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 it is my conviction as a pastor that the greatest thing I can do is mobilize and motivate you to the call of God in your life. And so if you want to make it really clean and short, you can say it like this. The mission of First Church is this. We want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people pastored. We want to see pastor people equipped. And we want to see equipped people mobilized. Rents and repeat. I believe in your anointing. I, 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 know, I know you'll be stronger a year from now than you are now, but I don't want you to wait for a year from now. I know there's still some struggles for freedom in your life, and we as a church want to do everything we can to help you gain freedom. You know, freedom is not getting you out of Egypt. That's deliverance. Freedom is getting Egypt out of you. Yeah. So you no longer desire the things of this world. That's freedom. You no longer want the peppers and leeks from Egypt. Who ever heard of a leek? My God, that's some good preaching right there. Uh, we want to see you develop into what you can be for God. And our city, I know we're in the Bible Belt, but our city is filled with brokenness. And our city is filled with pain. And here you are bursting with seed. You are bursting with seed. And around you are the fields of the Lord and everywhere you could go you can take the seed of the word that is in your heart and you can spread it into your community you can be the one who works in your field I want you to see that this happens this happens the moment you decide that God's investment in you is large enough to warrant you doing something uh, the truth is whenever we're called uh, the first enemy we face is paralysis 
Uh, it's just paralysis. And this is true spiritually. This is true in relationships. This is true in career and business even. The first thing that happens when you see, when your eyes are open to what needs to happen, because you don't know where to start and you haven't defined a system yet, the first thing you tend to do is just to freeze. You are suddenly aware of so much that needs to be done that you don't know where to start. And this paralysis is real. And I have seen it over and over in my own life. I, I want to uh, challenge you today uh, that half the battle is getting started. Half the battle is getting started. Pushing back against the paralysis that is uh, natural when you see the tremendous work that is to be done before you. I, I want to I tell you a personal story. This is a bit of a horrible story, but um, it's not tragic. It's just horrible. Um, when I was uh, in Bible school, I went to a I went home with a friend of mine whose parents, whose grandparents actually, uh, lived down in the bayous. I mean the swamps uh, of Louisiana. If you actually look where their house was, they are south of New Orleans uh, in, the, in the, the mangrove swamps. And to get there, we had to drive down these really, really uh, overgrown lanes. And if it had just rained, the water would come up and cover the road. And, and you, as you drove, the wheels of your car would throw water out out into the bayous and and we drove way down in the middle of nowhere and we got down there and um, it was a weekend and we were staying and they had a little john boat so my friend uh, took me out on the john boat and the thing that amazed me was uh, there were snakes everywhere now i grew up in carolina you might see one snake a year uh, on this bayou literally you could not take the boat the le- the length of this platform without seeing snakes coiled up on limbs that hang out over the over the water and if you got too close to them, they would jump off and into the water. And I don't know all the species because I just call if any type of a devil is just a devil. <laughs> I don't need to know whether it's a southern devil or an eastern devil or a western devil. Like the case of my wife, she's a southern devil. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, you might have married a northern devil. I don't know. But um, I just... Uh, cutting up. Sorry. I love you too, darling. And... Uh, one of us, him or me, I don't remember, had an idea, uh, and we went and borrowed his grandfather's twenty-two rifle, which was always right there because there's snakes all the time in the yard, all the time. And uh, we got in this little John boat, and we started going down the bayou, you know, and started shooting snakes. And, man, this was fun because, I mean, they're everywhere. And you just run along, pop, and they drop in the water, and pop, you drop in the water. And we came up with this system. It was a very good strategic system. In fact... Um, after we developed it, you know, the various military branches called us and asked us how we had done it. But uh, the plan was that you would take this little John boat and you would aim at the bank and you'd get some speed up. You get some speed up and then he would he would let off the gas. And as the, the, the boat nosed into the shore, into the big wall of brush that grew down, I would shoot the, I'd shoot the sna- snakes and be like, pop, pop. Then he would throw the reverse level on the little motor and excel, uh, rev it, and we would back up. So we like, so so you get the idea. It's kind of like people who can't decide if they want to come to the altar or not. You know, they're kind of like, preacher almost got me, but I saved myself at the last possible moment. And so I'm in the front of this boat, you know, old Daniel Boone, my little 22 rifle, you know, whoa, and his. You get the idea? Okay, so this was working great. And uh, we, were, we were having a great time. 
and we go nose and in there. I mean, there's snakes everywhere. And um, I'm, j- I'm, I'm just coming in and mm, pop, 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 pop. He flipped the switch to hit the res- reverse to pull us out, and the motor died. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when that happens. And um, so it's like, click. And I look up, and I'm going nose in to this wall of jungle foliage, and I'm in the front of this boat. Well, I don't know. There's just nowhere to go. I can jump in the water, but that doesn't seem like a great idea. (laughs) And I nose right into this wall of foliage, and the first thing I think is a snake's going to fall on me. You know, I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry for the lie I told about my mother. You know, I just, just, oh, God, I repent. Never do it again, never do it again. We nose right into this wall of foliage, and I stop, and I stop, and I hear him. I'm saying, back up, Jonathan. This is Jonathan Strickland. He, he's a missionary in, the, in Ireland right now. He's trying to get the motor started. He's like, I look up, and I am not kidding. I am not kidding. It's a true story. Coiled right in front of me. I don't see it at first because there's a shadow. It's some kind of a devil. I don't know what kind of a devil it was. But it's some kind of a snake is right in front of me and it's cool and his two eyes are looking right at my face. And his tongue is like... And I'm just freezing. I, I am frozen. I am frozen. And I, all I can think is if I move, I'm going to get bitten. If I move, I'm going to get bitten. And, I was like, and I'm trying to speak to Jonathan back of the boat to start the motor and I'm giving tongues and interpretation but he's, he's not getting the, you know... Finally, after much sorrow, repentance, and seven commitments of my life to eternal missions, if I just would be saved, the motor started and he backed up off. And I just sat down and I couldn't speak. He didn't even know what had happened. I'm just sitting right there and I sat there. I checked my underwear. It was, it was intense, man. And I'm not going to tell you that what I found. I'm just. My heart rate was doing about 145. Of course, I was young, so it's probably 200. Now I'd be 145. Um, in that moment, the, I was frozen in terror. And, and if any of you have ever gone through anything really scary like that, um, you, you know exactly what it's like to freeze in the face of, 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 of fear. Uh, you just, your body shuts down. You literally freeze. And I think so often when we are exposed to a spiritual opportunity, if we did not see it coming or we are struggling with a sense of our own ability, there is a very normal and natural sense that we freeze in the face of spiritual opportunity. We literally freeze and things cause us, cause us to miss Opportunities that God could have multiplied into a great work. Why do we freeze? I, I, I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for me. Some of these things might also apply for you. Um, I'm afraid of failing. I, I want to be honest with you today. I'm afraid of failing. I, I, no one wants to fail. Uh, I'm afraid of shame. Uh, if, if, if something happens and, and, and somebody doesn't like something or I drop the ball, I'm just completely honest with you. I, I don't like to have shame in my life. And lastly, I, I want to be honest with you and tell you that I, I'm afraid of people laughing at me. I am. I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to be a joke. Uh, but there's one thing I know and I want you to know, and that is simply this. And this isn't my plan that I made up to give to you today. This is a biblically true principle that is true from Genesis to Revelation, and that is this. Fear will keep you from the purpose of God in your life. Right. 
I don't want to rush past that. I want you to let that sit on your head here for a moment. Fear will cause you to miss the purpose of God in your life. The number one commandment that God speaks to his people in the scripture, we talked about this last week, is fear not. Be not afraid. The most common battle of the believer who is striving to manifest the kingdom of God on earth is to have to overcome fear. Fear will keep you from living out the purpose of God. Fear will keep you from experiencing the revival that he wants you to have. Fear will cause you to settle for less when there are so many people depending on you. Amen. Amen. Theodore Roosevelt said this, it is hard to fail, but it is worse never to have tried to succeed. Come on. There are some things worth failing over. There are some things important enough that you should risk it all. There are some things so important that you should you should stop caring what the children of Israel say and you should throw yourself at the work that has been given to you. I want you to get that in your spirit. Fear will keep you from the purpose of God. You must be a person of faith because the opposite of fear is faith. You must by the choice of your life. You must choose action in the face of fear. You must choose promise in the face of giants. You must claim God's way even yes, though the yes. walls of hell seem to prevail and loom like gates in your life. Do not let fear stop you from the work of God in your life. The second thing I want you to take away from this message is simply this. Past failures will keep you from future victories. You failed. I failed. You remember the pain. Uh, you remember the embarrassment. You remember no one showed up. You remember somebody made a comment. Uh, I, I want you to be aware that you may, if you're not careful, misunderstand the nature of the work that you are called to do. Failure is a part of every successful undertaking. Failure is only fail. failure if you quit. If you don't quit, it's a learning experience. You may, you may have forgotten that God's favorite tool to use is failure. You may have forgotten that the Bible is a book of victory built upon the backs of failures. You may have forgotten that failure is a part of every successful undertaking. You may have forgotten that God uses failure. You may have forgotten about Calvary. Because the princes of this world, had they known that God uses failure, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. You must look your fear in the eye and say some things are worth risking opinion, other people's opinion over. It's no wonder that many of us don't want to be involved unless we know that we will have a guaranteed success. I want to tell you this, the moment you have guaranteed success, you no longer are a person of faith. Now you're a person manipulating God. Faith is the action of walking away from the comfortable and stepping into the unknown, knowing that there will be trouble, knowing that there will be deserts, knowing there will be enemies and saying, God, ask me if I can follow and I am going to follow. The third thing I want you to see is that fear will keep you from taking action and it will it will it will tempt you with delay. There is a term in corporate circles that's called simply this. You will have heard it. The paralysis of analysis. Let's don't do anything. Let's just 
learn a little longer. Let's don't do anything. Let's just get more information. Let's don't do anything. Let's just work on our skills. Let's don't do anything. Let's just decide to wait until it is something uh, that we approve of. Hear me today. God is challenging you. God has placed you. God is investing in you. And this church believes in you. And this preacher believes in you. We will equip you. We will support you. But you have to go. We cannot go for you. We do not know your friends. We do not know your family. We will support you. We will equip you. But you are called. You are chosen. It's time to be faithful. So let yourself be filled with faith and say, I am going to be a part of a book of Acts church. I am going to do something for the kingdom of God. It may seem small to others, but to me, it is a risk. It may feel unimportant to others, but to me, it's going to make a difference because I am, am I preaching to anybody here today? I am called and I am chosen and it's time to be faithful. Almost none musicians, you can come. One uh, writer said this about people who are uh, doubting themselves. A person who doubts himself is like a man who would enlist in the ranks of his enemies and bear arms against himself. He makes his failure certain by himself being the first person to be convinced of it. The person who doesn't even try is the person who is convinced of failure even before they try to succeed. The fourth thing I want you to take away from this challenge here today is that it's natural for us to fear that our self-esteem will pay the price for any failure that we have. And we let a feared change in our status limit what we try to do for God because we don't want to be the person who is known as the person who, the person who failed. We don't want to have an identity, identity change in the opinions of other people. I want to say as a minister uh, and speaking for all spiritual leaders, I want you to be aware that this is a, uh, a trial, a temptation that is particularly tuned for leaders, particularly tuned for pastors, particularly tuned for, for teachers, uh, mentors, uh, disciple makers. If you are at all a leader, you are continually going to have a fear that other people will think of you as a failure. Uh, other people are going to criticize you. There's a word for that. It's called life. Um, other people are going to criticize you. You're going to be misunderstood uh, whether you do what they want or don't do what they want. You're going to be misunderstood. There's no path without misunderstanding. If they misunderstood Jesus, honey, you ain't Jesus. Um, and so the particular temptation of people in leadership is because we fear an identity to be stamped on us, because we fear other people's painful label that they stick on us. We continually rope in what we try to do for God until it is safe enough to enough people. The tragedy of that is the very people who you are trying to satisfy are all saved. And the world that is dying, hurting, they don't know those people anyway. <laughs> you might as well love somebody. You might as well start a small group. <laughs> you might as well reach out in prayer and intercession for somebody. So I'll speak to myself. I'll speak to myself. Yes, some people may say that I tried too much and I did too 
risky, whatever. But here's the thing. If I make it safe for saved people, the chances are what I will do is limit my reach for the people with whom I have been sent to minister. And I don't just say that for me. It's true of every leader who has ever done anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, he, he said this, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important. If an unbeliever can identify that reality so true, how much more is it true for people who are going to stand at a judgment and the Lord is going to ask us what we did with what we were given? So this is real. The truth is we, we, we might be called a loser when things go into difficult times. We might be misunderstood. We might be criticized. But I will say this. If you, like Ezekiel, listen to the critics, your mission is going to be curtailed. You need to decide who you're serving before you go before the faces of the people you are trying to reach out and minister to. Uh, I like something that the athlete Michael Jordan said on this subject of being known as a loser. You may not know it, but uh, in 1978, he was a sophomore trying out for the varsity basketball team at Laney High School here in North Carolina. And he did not make, Michael Jordan did not make the varsity team. He was cut. In his mind, his biographer said it was the ultimate defeat, the ultimate failure. He says, quote, I went to my room and I closed the door and I cried. For a while I couldn't stop even though there was no one else home at the time. I kept the door shut. It was important to me that no one hear me or see me. Uh, Jordan was heartbroken and he decided to quit basketball altogether because it's so painful to be known as a failure. It's so painful to be known as somebody who didn't make the team. It's so painful to have your identity given to you by others. But his mother wouldn't accept that from him. She told him to toughen up, quit feeling sorry for himself, and get back into the game. And that's exactly what he did. She convinced him otherwise. And so he said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost more than 300 games. 20 six times I've been trusted to take the game winning shot and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life and that is why I succeed. All right. Enough quoting business titans and athletes. Let me give you an image from the scripture. Ezekiel, get over the awe. Stand up. Listen to me. I have a mission for you. It's not going to be easy because people are going to resist you and fight you. They're stiff-necked and small-minded. So remember who you're serving. I'm going to fill your mouth with my word, and you are going to go and share it with the world. First Church, you have been called. If there's any drawing in you, if there's any unction within you, if you feel any hunger within you, that is exactly what it feels like to be called by God. First he draws, then you say yes. And right now is the perfect time for you to find an avenue of making a difference in your world. We're doing everything we can as a church to organize 
our efforts to empower you. We're wanting you to take steps into volunteering, into ministry, into serving, into giving. We're wanting you to find places of ministry. We're wanting you to come to prayer meetings. We're wanting you to join small groups. We are doing everything we can do to give you structure. And you, in the presence of God, feel the drawing, the deep, deep drawing of God. But you have to do something. It's not enough to feel something. It's not enough to think something. heads bowed, eyes closed. If you feel the Spirit drawing you right now in your life, would you raise your hands all across the house? God bless you. So many scores, scores of hands. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here today who feels the drawing of God in their life to take action for the kingdom. You know the gifts they have. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.